Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about nerve glides, we talk about the use of the FMS and or the SFMA in the rehab setting, and we talk about unstable surface training. (laughs) The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We're up at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston, Massachusetts. We have Lenny McCrina, Mike Scaduto, Dave Tilly, and Dan Pope. Ow. I've never done that order before. Mike Reynolds. We're going to change the order up every foil. time. It's a first out, inner last. Yeah, we're working okay, on a map here. So. What's that called? That's called a foil. That's a foil? And a math problem. <laughs> Algebra. That's how you expand your uh, equation, right? If you're solving for X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. All right, good. Thanks for everybody on this episode. We learned about See you next week. math problems in here. We're here with our student Three Musketeers. We have Casey, Kevin, K. Cup, Coughlin. It's getting better every time. From, from, U- from UMass Lowell, Drew Doobie Doobie Dudek from the <laughs> University of Belmont College, and Nikhil Shaquille O'Neal Harani from University of Kentucky. Wildcats! Who's going first? Drew Doobie Doobie Dudek. <laughs> so I don't, I'm trying to make room, I don't know where to go. There's too many students. Alright, so we have Devin from Philly. Hi Mike, we are currently doing nerve compression lectures in school. When do you suggest doing a nerve gliding versus nerve stretch? Ah, love your podcast. Ooh, you thank you. Uh, all right, so good question. When do you do nerve gliding versus nerve stretch? Stretch in there, and this would be a good question. I will tell you, I am not the one to answer it. We can maybe talk about that afterward. But I don't know who's got the most experience with nerve glide stuff or something. I'd like to hear what you guys yeah, learned in school, Mike. I know Dan, you've you've practiced this quite a bit in your old uh, job and stuff like that in your old life. Back when you were more naive? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I'll go first. Oh, yeah. So what did you learn in school? I, I guess we learned that nerves sit within a sheath, right? And, and there's different factors that can influence how well the nerve slides within the sheath. sheath excuse me. Um, so we learned different move, maneuvers on how to assess neural tension, um, specifically in the upper body, um, mostly. Um, and then we learned different maneuvers, I guess, that will um, facilitate a sliding effect of the nerve within the sheath. We also learned that nerves don't typically respond well to stretching, right. um, so it's more of like a sliding maneuver. That's the, the thought that I have in my mind. I've, I've always felt that way. I do not like nerve stretching. Nerve stretching always seems to make people worse. Maybe it's a thing that they get worse before they get better, like and it's helpful in the long run. I'm, I am a little naive on this, I'll tell you that, but uh, Dan, what's your, what's your experience? Yeah, so... <clears throat> I, uh, I have um, David Butler's book, Sense of Nervous System, and he talks a ton about assessment of nerves and trying to figure out if they're related to the pain problem. Um, and I've used a lot of this in the past, and generally I like to use glides when someone's too painful to handle a stretch. Um, in general, I use it for uh, radicular symptoms in the upper extremity, some more neck-related stuff, and also in the lower extremity. Um, and I just tend to use it when people can't really tolerate more aggressive stretching. Uh, I did read a study and this was several years ago for the OCS examination. And at that time, there wasn't as much research about um, glides. And they're actually looking at just nerve stretching 
and they were doing this in people with, with low back with radicular symptoms, and they found that just regular stretching is also helpful. So one of the things I've changed over the course of time is that I, I will generally do more gliding for individuals when they're more painful, but I don't, I'm not having a problem pushing to a little bit of pain. I think the big thing you're looking for is that is this person making progress from week to week, month to month, are we making progress? Um, because the other thing is that if you aggravate things a little bit temporarily and pain goes away and they're making progress over the course of time, even if they are a little sore the next day or two, as long as things are progressing in the right direction, I'm happy. Right. So I think it, it really depends on the person that's in front of you. Uh, try some things out. Start with things that give people a little less pain. Um, sometimes you have to push them harder, right? And that's one of the things maybe I didn't do early enough. So sometimes you don't push into enough pain, sometimes you're pushing into too much pain, and you experiment a little bit. It takes experience, right? Yeah. I like that, yeah. I, I will say, I, I do not practice nerve gliding or sliding or compressing or stretching or whatever. Uh, and I never have, and I, I, I've looked into it at several points in my career. Never formally trained, but self-taught myself at several points and tried it on some people at several, several points. Now, perhaps my patient population isn't right. Like, I have a lot of acute, soft tissue based injuries from people that are moving or athletic or something like that right where it's not necessarily neurological but for most of my people like like a baseball pitcher is a good example that has ulnar neuropathy every time they make a throw they're getting a nerve stretch so uh, to me that is like the precipitating factor so for treatment you know that's like doing an o'brien test for your treatment for you know, shoulder pain. I just, I wouldn't do the, the precipitating factor as a, as a treatment technique. So I've always, I've, I've looked into it. I feel like I'm missing the boat and maybe I need to get educated more, but I've never done it. I will say in 20 years, I've done fine without it. Yeah. So the, we clearly must not need them in our practice, but th that's my experience yeah. in it. But I will li end w with the caveat of I, I'm totally open to I may be missing something. Well, I think that combining your guys' two thoughts and kind of where I was going with is that Initially, when the nerve is really cranked up and it's, it's it's really sensitive, it doesn't tolerate stretching well. But you need the tolerance of stretching to get back to functional activities, right? So the biggest ones that come up are going to be people who reach and have to like stretch nerves to get things, but also like deadlifting, right? So someone does a hinge pattern and your feet are planted, that's going to put you into neural tension to get down fully. And I think that right. inherently you're probably exposing someone greatly back to uh, stretching of the nerve after they do something by throwing a throwing program when you don't throw as aggressively 50% of a thrower distance wise is not going to stretch the nerve as much but as you open your throwing up more as your deadlift lower to the ground as you deadlift kind of more aggressively I think you are exposing the nerve right. to a slowly graded stretch does yeah. the nerve grading does it truly get tethered, tethered down or scarred down do we know that like, I think the only time I've seen it is what are we back. doing what do we think we're doing yeah, what I, are we, you know? I was going to say that is, this is this, as our understanding of pain science gets better right and we, we actually understand this a little bit more the question the concept is quite biomechanical, mm. right? It's like gliding, sliding mm. versus a sensitization, like Mike kind of said. Like, so it's it's like putting those together. I don't know if we know an answer yet, do we? I, they talked about it in the McKenzie courses that I took a couple of years ago when I was back. They said that like someone has like a say they have like a, um, a disectomy and like they have a lot of like scarring from the actual surgery and they don't move well. They don't go to PT. They don't really do any exercises. That has been shown on the second follow-up surgery to sh actually show tethered nerve. But that's like it was like ten percent of all these cases and it was really much less often than they thought. Yeah. So but I think yeah. the neck too has a little bit, but it's not as bad as I think people think. Nice. Alright. Yeah. Good. Alright, what's next? Okay. Who's up? Ian from Fourth Worth, Texas. Team. Huge fan of the show. Huge, huge, huge. I'm a young therapist and I've only been working for three months. I'm currently at the general ortho clinic where they reimburse for CEUs. I just finished your shoulder course and I'm about to buy the knee seminar, but I've always wanted to be more familiar with general movement screens. 
I know you say not to get hooked on one specific system, but which do you feel is more beneficial to begin with for a general ortho and occasional athletic population? FMS, SFMA, and why? Thank you for your time. Nice, all right, so good question. So a uh, young physical therapist, a few months out, wants to learn more about uh, functional movement, I guess. FMS or SFMA? I don't know, who wants to hit it? What do you guys think? I would say personally SFMA if you're living in the medical world. I right. think that yeah. I started with the SFMA. I read the book that kind of had both, and then I took the SFMA and it helped me so much just to like put the pieces together. And then um, after I wanted to move into strength conditioning and be better about that for program design, the FMS helped me put people in better exercise selection buckets, which is my two cents. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I would say no doubt SFMA. It's definitely been beneficial. Beneficial to me to kind of simplify the movement screen. That's where Lenny and I met. That's where we met. Um, but I think also <laughs> just keep it in mind, not like you said, like like we've said in the past, not to get bogged down in one system. So I think it's one small one small piece of the puzzle that you're using to to assess them. Um, and I think you know we may have something coming out later this year that's going to kind of take <laughs> a bunch of different systems and put them into one beautiful system. Right. So, so, so that may be the system. one system you can follow is, <laughs> is put is, is putting a, together a bunch of systems. And I think that's our point. Our system is a bunch of systems put together. So, I, I me myself as a physical therapist, I've not really gotten much use out of the FMS as a physical therapist. I'm sure there are. I'm sure many you know people would disagree with that, and you probably integrate it better than I do. Uh, but, and maybe I just do other things so I don't need it. But the SFMA, I mean, I, you know, more than anything else, just going through these courses is going to help get your mind set to look at movement, which I think is super helpful. So, you know, I, I'm super supportive of, of both, right? But if I had to pick one, probably SFMA. Yeah, me too. I think it's great. I think the big thing uh, about the SFMA that I liked is you're thinking systematically. You're looking globally at all the joints, and they teach you, okay, now I can zoom in on this particular area. Right. It may not be the best screen for the population you have, but it's also very good with teaching you how to look systematically and then right. starting to zero in after you find something. Yeah, some, sometimes the benefit of a course isn't necessarily the knowledge gain, but it's it's the concept gain, right? It's about a, kind of the way it opens your mind. So um, start with the SFMA, and I'd, I'd go from there. So sweet. K-Cup. All right, Travis from Chattanooga. What is the value of unstable surface training in the rehab and performance setting? Okay. I was waiting for another sentence. Yeah. That was good. Right. So what's the value of unstable surface training? That unstable surface training gets a ton of heat, right? It's probably from the strength world, right? Yeah. This is one of those ones I don't get why there's so much confusion or arguments about if you should do unstable surface training or not. Um, the only reason why unstable surface training would be bad is if that's all you do, right? Like, But unstable surface training is a complement to other things. Right, so it's not just like should I strength train on a stable surface or an unstable surface. It's it's how do you do both, right? So like in our practice, there's a bunch of lifts that are very obvious. We're not going to deadlift on a Bosu ball, right? That doesn't make sense, right? But we may de deadlift and manipulate those sets and reps to go more towards strength. But then maybe we'll do like a single leg RDL on an unstable surface, so that way we get some three-dimensional balance in addition to some some strength training so I don't know why there's such an argument about this but man people love to say you shouldn't do unstable surface training it's not as effective as just strength training well of course if your metric is strength mm -hmm. but there's so much more that goes into it right yeah and never mind there is research that shows that there's benefits to it meaning uh, especially ACLs um, 
I think Lynn Snyder-Mackler and her group just put something out like recently that ACL rehab had improved outcomes long-term if they incorporated like perturbation neuromuscular type training versus not um, in, in like a ACL prevention group or ACL prevention type program after an ACL. So they, they incorporated neuromuscular type training um, in these ACLs. So never mind the upper extremity too is working on unstable surfaces, somebody who has a loose, a loose shoulder or coming back from a bank car repair, right? there is research that does show working on unstable surfaces is beneficial. So it depends on who you're seeing, but for me, I'm seeing a lot of post-ops, I'm seeing a lot of ACLs, um, it's something we do you know, frequently. I don't know why you would put yeah, it all together. I, I think the confusion comes when people have like different categories of athleticism they're trying to fill in the gap of the program for, and they use one for the opposite side, like so strength versus dynamic stability, right? Like unstable surface proprioception, very appropriate dynamic stability, but it's not going to get you stronger, right? right? Just like right. you wouldn't go super, super heavy if you wanted to get better dynamic stability, right? right? So I think people just right. like generalize that one thing has all categories. And you know what? I would say a lot of strength coaches and personal trainers probably, I don't even know if they consider balance a lot of them. I bet you a lot of them it's just, look, it's like it's strength, it's power, it's endurance, it's agility, but like just baseline balance or, or we, we call it functional stability for a reason, right? You have, to perform any task, you have to move in one plane and stabilize in two planes, right? That's training that concept, right? So, I mean, I, I, I think that's that's how I put it together. So I always have the slide, I would put the slide and I just show a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? Like why pick between chocolate or peanut butter when they're both better together? Boom. On that note, thanks so much. Appreciate everything. Uh, Another great episode. Keep asking us questions. MikeRonald.com. Click on that podcast link. Fill out the form to ask us some questions. Head to iTunes, Spotify, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRonald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.